When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, it wasn't Freddie Mitchell, but Wentz and Ertz get the job done on fourth and long. And now it is Ertz again, and then he loses the football. It's picked up by Anthony Barr. And Barr will take it back out close to midfield. And there's the first sack of the afternoon for Aaron Donald. That gives him 20 and a half on the year. He is two away from tying Michael Strahan's NFL single season record. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. A lot on the show today. We're going to start off with my list of Vikings draft what-ifs in the Mike Zimmer era. And no, Courtney, I'm not letting you derail. This is where we are beginning. Not going any other direction. You're not going to get me back for the other day. Uh, And then at 2.30, I want to talk about two things that involve... Uh, Tua Tagovailoa that are really interesting that are out there. We've got George Shahuri coming up at 3.30, and I have given you the reins to write some hot routes. And, you know, Courtney, I just looked them over, and I think you've done a pretty good job for your first swing at uh, designing our hot routes. It's not my first swing, though. When Rami and I hosted the week that the sports world collapsed, uh, mm, when you sports, went to yeah. Los Angeles, uh, I wrote them for, I believe, three oh, straight okay. days. All right, all right. Maybe okay. you should go back and listen to those, and maybe you can take some advice. I'm sorry. I was uh, pre the world falling apart, as you mentioned. I was just, you know, enjoying a little vacation time. And then when I came back, all hell broke loose. So, yeah. hmm, correlation there? Yeah. You go on vacation, yeah. world falls apart. Definitely right. No, that, well, certainly it feels that way, I'm sure, with you and Rami hosting. But uh, let's let's get to the list right off the bat here. Um, because, once again, we open the show another day where the Vikings haven't done anything. And I don't think that much will change until draft night. So we'll have a lot of... Um, fun conversations that we can have. And you did your list of potential draft mistakes, and I harassed you all the way through it about draft <laughs> nihilism. So I fully expect you to give me uh, the same type of um, I am locked and loaded. hard time, and you can do that. So, Jonathan, why don't we get a little music here behind us for this top five list, and then we can discuss uh, Vikings draft what-ifs. All right, so I, I have five, and all of them are, what if they had drafted this guy over that guy? And... Jonathan gave you a hint to the first one. What if, Courtney, the Vikings had drafted Aaron Donald instead of Anthony Barr? Well, uh, we don't have the Sharif Floyd thing then, probably. Uh, There's not that void that they're constantly looking to upgrade that three-technique position over the last few years. It becomes Mm -hmm. a revolving door. Um, 
you know, to get one of the best defenders in the game, I think is, you know, that that in itself changes the outlook of this defense um, and what they could have been in those years. Because, what, that was the 2014 draft class? Correct, yep. Um, that changes a lot because, I mean, think about the way that, you know, we thought they were going to use Anthony Barr and the, what he's morphed into. Obviously a very good linebacker, but a game changer on the defensive line and Aaron Donald I think changes his defense from top to bottom. Well, and you brought up Sheree Floyd, and that's the reason that they did not draft Aaron Donald, because yeah, reasonably they thought Sheree Floyd was good, and he was. And then he got hurt. And then he got hurt. Uh, but if they draft him, and you have, let's even say, Sheree Floyd and Aaron Donald on the inside rotating or moving, one goes out to the end sometimes, or one plays over the center sometimes, whatever. You could do anything with Aaron Donald. If he's a 20-sack guy and he goes along with Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter, you are talking about the most dangerous defensive line, not only of just the last five years, but probably of the last like 20 years. Maybe you'd have to go back to when the... Uh, Philadelphia Eagles had Jerome Brown and Reggie White to be this dangerous of a defensive line, what they would have had had they picked Aaron Donald. Do we look at Anthony Barr as a draft success, though? Yeah, I mean, it's Mike Zimmer's first first-round pick, right? Like, he'll always, we'll always look at it for that reason. Uh, and somebody that, no matter what, has been a cornerstone in his defense, for better or for worse. I mean, those two have bucked heads about it. His role hasn't exactly morphed into what we thought it would. Maybe it will this year with Everson Griffin not a part of the team anymore, but we'll see. I would say it's a draft success, but I think that you also have to look at the players that they passed over or missed out on because they went with Barr. And, I mean, we've talked about um, you know the, all the what-ifs with Sharif Floyd, and it is kind of crazy when you look back at it that an injury to a player like that kind of set them back, at least at that position for a couple of years, and they've been trying to figure that out, and they just never... Had they gotten Aaron Donald instead, and if that you know, if things would have played out differently, we're not talking about it in the same in the same realm. Yeah, I think Barr becomes a success because if you draft a guy in the first round and he becomes a starter and plays a thousand snaps almost every single year in that in that ballpark, an every down type of player on defenses that ranked in the top five and were number one in the NFL, went to an NFC championship game. It's hard to say that player didn't turn out. So and, and signs a second contract, which is another way of looking at it. I think Anthony Barr has been a success, but he certainly has not been of the level of Aaron Donald. And his value, I still have trouble with this Courtney because PFF grades and things like that, I don't think they fully explain the value of Anthony Barr for how unique of an athlete he is and how intelligent he is and a lot of things on the defense run through him. But I can also still feel like he's overpaid at this point and did not turn out to be the superstar that maybe even his Pro Bowls suggest. Well, I think that that's all valid because he wasn't used the way that we anticipated him being used. He was an outside linebacker who rushed the passer in college, yet... That has not been a predominant part of his job in the Vikings defense for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Now, I do kind of wonder, once we look at post-draft, what the Vikings do to fill the void left by Everson Griffin if they decide, let's say, 25, they draft A.J. Epinesa or something like that. What if they don't? What does Anthony Barr's role become? Because remember last year around this time when they brought Griffin back and they re-signed Barr after he... Uh, you know, agreed to the Jets and then came back. We thought, okay, finally he's going to be used as a pass rusher. Finally, the front office said, Mike, you have to, if we're going to pay him all this money, you have to do what we tell you to do with him, what you initially, what we initially thought you were going to do when you drafted him. 
And that didn't really happen. So I'm wondering, do we finally see a change in what his role is, especially as like a situational pass rusher this year? I wonder, because Dom Capers and that 3-4 mm-hmm. defense that he comes from and his philosophy, will he have an impact on Mike Zimmer in that realm of what Barr's role could become? Yeah, that's the only thing that gives hope to it. I think maybe he's used it in more pressure packages on first and second down because I could see the amount that they blitz going way up with rookie corners that they're trying to protect and being a little more like boomer bust on defense, which is not what a Mike Zimmer defense has ever been. It's more of been blitz on third down or create unique pressures and zone blitzes and double A gaps on third down, but first and second is usually base. They usually don't do anything uh, unique, and last year they were kind of a bend-don't-break type of defense. I wonder if this year that changes with more pressures from Anthony Barr. But I think we would say clearly... Uh, Aaron Donald would have been a complete game changer and made them the most dangerous defense in the NFL. Anthony Barr has been a good player for quite a long time. Now, number two on the list, Michael Thomas instead of Laquan Treadwell. I know. I yes, had yes, I yes. had to do it. It's got to be on this list. Um, what do you think Michael Thomas becomes if he plays for the Vikings, and how does it change either Diggs or Thielen? Well, I mean... Would you really have three receivers that had such prolific seasons all at once? I don't I don't know if that would have been possible because at the time that Treadwell was drafted, he was supposed to be eventually either the number one or the number two. And that was at a time in 2016 where people, at least, I mean, I wasn't covering the team then, but the, the narrative around it was, hey, is this Adam Thielen's season that he just put up? Is this going to become a regular thing? And we quickly, yeah. quickly learned it's not a fluke. Right. Um, so, you know, if you bring Michael Thomas in, if somehow all of the draft chatter and all of the information they were getting were different and Thomas doesn't become a second-round pick, um, does he have those three straight seasons that he had right off the bat that were incredible? I don't know in this offense because they already had Thielen and Diggs, and they already had other guys within that mix, too, that would have been getting more of the targets. I don't know. I think... I think he still would have been an excellent player here, but think about the opportunity he walked into in New Orleans. I mean, he had a much clearer path than he probably would have in Minnesota. I think there's there's a decent, well, for one, there's a decent chance that they go to the Super Bowl in 2017 if they can have those three receivers. I think what would have happened is you would have had a Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Jake Reed situation, and the Moss is Thomas the Carter is Diggs, and the Jake Reed of the program is probably Adam Thielen. And anybody who watched the Vikings from 1998 would tell you that you know Jake Reed was still a sure. highly effective receiver. It just that he wasn't getting 70 receptions anymore. He was no, getting he was more a, like 40. He was a true number two. And like look back at that year with Diggs, Cordero Patterson, and Adam Thielen. That's your starting three. What happened? I, I would think that CP would have probably been the one who was kind of the odd man out yes, there. Yes. And I mean, it was already kind of trending that way, anyways. But you have two near thousand yard receivers in both Thielen and Diggs. Would you? You're not going to have three. Who takes the hit there? It's probably Thielen. Yeah, I think it's Thielen. He becomes the Jake Reed, where he would still get big catches. It just wouldn't have been quite the uh, the the amount of targets that he got obviously would not have been the, the targets but I think if Michael Thomas emerges they're looking at him as being you know that no, number one receiver and then maybe Diggs becomes kind of the number two um, mm-hmm. number three on my list of the Vikings what ifs of the Mike Zimmer era in the draft is something that I was pounding this very weirdly shaped table about 
Lamar Jackson instead of Mike Hughes. When Lamar Jackson dropped on draft day, I uh, adamantly said the Vikings should pick Lamar Jackson because he's a unique talent. And even if he doesn't work out as a quarterback, maybe you could throw him the ball and he can still make plays because he was so incredible in college. They decide to go instead with Mike Hughes, the corner, who we still don't really have a good feeling on. And Lamar Jackson has an MVP. So how does it play out for Lamar Jackson if the Vikings draft him instead of Mike Hughes. Well, Kirk Cousins doesn't have a contract extension right now. Correct. So that's number one. Um, Would there have been points in the 2018 season when they are essentially Super Bowl or bust that they pull Kirk Cousins Mm. and put in the rookie, potentially? I mean, I can think of, I mean, Chicago. Seattle, Perfect example of that. Seattle. Um, Probably New England, too. After they try to make that run there in the second quarter and then, you know, coming right out the gates... In, in, the, in the second half, uh, it all comes apart, and they needed a comeback that they were not able to stage. You know, there were several points there. I mean, that would have been kind of a disastrous look where you pay this quarterback all this money, and yet you have a totally different style of quarterback yeah. that you drafted uh, because he was just sitting there at 32. You know, I don't think it's a – I mean – if you could go back and do that, I'm sure that a lot of teams, including the Vikings, would definitely consider that move oh, because then you already have, you know, you could move on from Kirk Cousins a lot quicker if you did that. Yep. But, you know, that's uh, that that's the hard one because they needed a cornerback at that time. And, you know, if they would have if they would have gotten Jackson either where was Hughes that year? Was he at 20 30th. I think he was 30th. 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 Um, yeah, I mean they needed a cornerback, though, yep. for, for, for better or for worse, because they're in a worse situation now if they don't have Mike Hughes on the back end. And, you know, the quarterback situation is essentially stagnant. And we wouldn't know at this point what Lamar Jackson was going no. to be. But they would. They would know in terms of seeing him through training camp and, and seeing him behind the scenes and knowing his intelligence, his work ethic, all those things that have helped him improve to be a, a great quarterback in the NFL last year. They would have seen that all behind the scenes and probably been ready to turn it over to Lamar Jackson. And this is the thing about the draft where you should always try to be looking two years out and saying, well, you know, what if what if this pays off down the road for us instead of right now? And that's where you draft a center at 18. And mm-hmm. I wasn't against a corner at 30. A corner is a good pick in the first round, even if you're set at corner, because you never know who's going to get hurt or how it's going to play out in the future. But if you're looking at somebody you know, now, how it looks a few years later, Lamar Jackson is the what-if-he-was-the-Vikings' next franchise quarterback. And then they would still have him on the rookie deal. They would have him under control for a fifth-year option and then be spending like crazy at the yeah. next offseason. They, they wouldn't have had the same situation. I mean, yes, they would have. If you're looking at it from this year, because Kirk had, what, the three-year fully guaranteed deal, they yeah. still would have had that extremely high cap hit and probably would have been less active in free yeah, agency. Yeah, it'd be next year, right. It'd be next year. Yeah. So you'd be, you would truly be conceding that, unless you were going to make that switch right now, that this year would be a rebuild. Um, but... You know, I have a hard time thinking about that now as you as you do talk about like planning for two years out. Does that mean if Jalen Hurts is still there in the second or third round, I've always do you been still very think they take that. a quarterback? Yeah, why yep. not? Like, you know, at some point you have to have a contingency plan. Yes, you did give yourself another two year window, um, the two year extension that is with Kirk Cousins, but. You, you, what, you still haven't come up with a contingency plan, unless the contingency plan is to ride it out and people lose jobs eventually and they just mm-hmm. blow it up, which is what signs are pointing towards because they don't have a contingency plan at quarterback. 
Yeah, and I, I think that signing Kirk Cousins, even when they did, sort of told you that they were put in a position in part by his contract where they were desperate for cap space, so they had to sign him to an extension, and that there isn't a plan going forward because you know their backups have been Sean Mannion and Trevor Simeon, so it isn't somebody to turn it over to. Uh, in this situation, yeah, the the entire franchise would still feel like it was in good shape going forward, even if you were moving on from Cousins because Jackson would be so exciting. The downside, I'm sure, for the team would have been during all those struggles with Cousins, people would have desperately wanted Lamar Jackson to play and in some cases wouldn't have been wrong. I mean, I, who would have been surprised if he had come off the bench in a game where Kirk just didn't have it well, and, and played yeah. well? We don't do that in the NFL anymore, but if you had someone like Lamar, maybe you would have. No, I mean, you think about those games that they absolutely had to win coming out of that bye week in 2018. Chicago being one of them, yep. New England being the other one, Seattle absolutely. Um, that's all, I think that's all relative at this point, but I could definitely have seen him. Because that probably, I mean, think about the offensive coordinator at that time, too. Um, because of the mess that they were in with Kirk Cousins and obviously the bucking of heads between John DeFilippo and Mike Zimmer, mm-hmm. who's to say DeFilippo's not just going to hand the keys at that point over to Lamar Jackson and be like, save my job too. Right, yeah. No, that's a good point. In Seattle specifically was the most what is going on with Kirk type of moment. And then even this last year with uh, against Green Bay. It just you clearly yeah. could not make any plays because the offensive line was getting dominated, and that's where a guy like Lamar Jackson might have been able to step in. Uh, it would be a very different world had they done that. And last point on it is many times that you um, look back and say, on draft night, someone got criticized for taking a quarterback here, there, or wherever. It ends up working out. Not every time, but a lot of times. Russell Wilson in the third round. What are they doing? They just signed Matt Flynn. They've got their quarterback, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, you never know. Kirk Cousins is one of those guys. Why sure. would they draft another quarterback when they have RG3? You know, so um, anyway, I, 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 it's always going to be a what if for the Vikings there. That's number three. Number four on my list is Marquise Brown instead of Garrett Bradbury because the Vikings now don't have Stephon Diggs anymore. And you already knew at that point he wasn't happy. And that makes you wonder even more why you waited till the seventh round to draft receivers if you already had the sense that things were not going in a good direction with Diggs. Yeah, because they would have known back then because, what, OTAs, he didn't show up for, that was April. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Or was that May after the draft? Well, neither here nor there. They knew he wasn't happy. Yes. And they, the writing was on the wall very early on. I have a hard time with this one just because it would have been a, a disaster had they not drafted an offensive lineman right away last year. I feel like they like they put their themselves in their backs against the wall because of what they did the year before in drafting Mike Hughes and not getting a Will Hernandez, so not you, getting somebody else. But do you mean a disaster in terms of being criticized perception on draft and, Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, perception, yeah. absolutely. And it probably wouldn't have played out. I mean, think about... Yes, yes, the offensive philosophy changed, and they ran so much play action, and they probably could have done that had it still been Pat Elfline at center and Riley Reef at left tackle and Brian O'Neill at right tackle and whoever else you would have had to. I mean, you still would have had Josh Klein. You would have probably put Dakota Dozier at left or right guard, whatever. Um, would the offensive line have been any better? No. No. No difference but, at all. 
but to me, the Garrett Bradbury pick for for whatever you believe in, whether an offensive lineman like that can be a plug and play starter, that is a two to three year pick. That is something that they were expecting. Yeah, it's probably not going to be great when you have to go up against Grady mm-hmm. Jarrett and Akeem Hicks. Yep. Um, you know, your first season, you're going to get mauled. But that, to me, is something where they're looking down the line, too, because they knew all the draft rhetoric about him that he might be a little too small right now yep. to play the position. So, you know, were they gunned? You know, to me, they had no other, there was no other option for them than to draft a an offensive lineman in the first round. Yeah. I, I couldn't yeah. have seen it any other way. I mean, yeah, Marquise Brown would have been great. But. That, I just don't think that was ever really a realistic option for them at 18 last yeah, year. I think the the problem that I have with it is, a, well, a couple of fold. Uh, one, Andre Dillard, a left tackle, is there, and that's just more valuable um, than a center. Uh, the other part of it is if you were trying to fill a position right away, then sign someone. Because, as you mentioned, that somebody... With that, what money? Well, with, with what a, money? With a center, how much money do you need to get some veteran that can be one of the worst in the league? <laughs> Which is what Garrett Bradbury was last year. I mean, almost anybody, or leave Elf line there, and like you said, put somebody else, put Dozier at left guard. It wouldn't have made a darn bit of difference. No. So, I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that they thought he was going to be great right away, but that's just not being realistic with that position. So, no, I agree with that. I think that, you know, like you and I have talked about, unless you're not, unless you're drafting an offensive lineman in the top ten, it's hard to believe that someone at 18 is going to be ready right away. Already, when you know the concerns that he is a prototypical zone scheme blocker, and he's probably going to be a little bit undersized because he's more athletic. Right. So he has big steps to take to even prove that that was a good draft pick at this point. But I was thinking more of along the digs angle of like, no, you didn't draft any receivers in that draft, and you knew he was unhappy. So the number five on my list. Well, they did in the seventh round. And I know, right. I know. Well, one works like, out for them, and they get lucky. But to wait, yeah. to wait that long and draft a running back before a receiver when you know that Diggs is unhappy is pretty questionable. And uh, you know, Terry McLaurin goes in the third, and sure. he's a great player. There, there's some things to I could have seen about a third. I could have seen a third round receiver and yep. them waiting. But then again, it's like, gosh, it's like whack-a-mole. Because let's say you take a third round receiver if McLaurin's a, uh, available to them because they traded. Correct me, they traded. Back or up for Madison? I, uh, I lost track. Back like back. four times. Yes, they and that going, was like uh, Chris Berman. Back, 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 yes. back. So if but like they were doing that because there were health concerns with Dalvin Cook and durability concerns, yeah. and that ended up panning out. So can you get the same sort of luck? Does do analytics tell you that you could have found another Madison type in the fourth or the fifth round? Probably. Yeah, probably. So, but then. Because think about then, like the domino effect. Well, Cam Smith didn't do anything. Their fifth round linebacker pick, um, sixth round pick. They got Armand Watts, who they seemed to like, but they also got Oliudo in the sixth round. Probably didn't need him. I mean, you could have done. You could have addressed a running back need at another spot. Yep. But then again, it's an exact science, and, play, and we, anybody can play the hindsight game and keep you know going down the line like I'm doing right now. That's what the entire list is about, actually. <laughs> I know playing the hindsight game. Um, so anyway, you know, we'll see how the Bradbury pick works out. But I think, uh, especially since there were some other good interior linemen that were taken later, then it makes it look even more like a desperation pick, which is usually where this team goes wrong. So number five on the list in terms of the biggest what-if draft picks, Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Teddy Bridgewater. Jimmy Garoppolo was wow. drafted in the second round. Derek Carr, you could do this Derek Carr also. Bridgewater is a great pick. But he gets hurt. If Jimmy Garoppolo is their quarterback and they have continuity with him through the entire Mike Zimmer era, and he's turned out to be a, a quarterback who could take a team to the Super Bowl and have them ahead in the fourth quarter, 
I wonder if the Vikings do make a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo at some point along the way if they had drafted him instead of Teddy Bridgewater. Again, acknowledging Teddy was a good pick, but Jimmy would have stayed healthy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to look back at that draft class. Uh, that was, what, 14 again? Because they would have, they got Barr, and then they traded back in to get yep. Bridgewater, yep. correct? Yeah. And, and you, would have, you could have also taken Derek Carr. I'm not a huge Derek Carr guy, but... He also would have stayed healthy and been a Mike Zimmer kind of quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over a lot. What what else could they have done um, with that extra? I mean, what did they give up for Bridgewater in that draft pick? Because Garoppolo was the was a second round pick, sixty second overall. Um, you know, I don't not- I don't remember what they had to get it to move up to get Bridgewater. But um, do you agree that at some point they go to a Super Bowl if they had Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback for the entire time? For the entire time. So yeah, his offensive coordinator would have been Norv. Yeah, and that's then, a tough start. Yeah, uh, I don't know because um, I've never really projected that this team. If I'm if I'm saying that Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo are on the same playing field, not saying they're exact same player, but same level, and I have never really been a believer to think that Kirk could take them to a Super Bowl. I don't know if I'd say the same for Garoppolo, but. So think if, about if it. Garoppolo's that's, the that's quarterback in 2017 from the start to finish and has been there in the system, or at least with this team, for three years and you're building around the rookie contract. Because remember, sure, Bradford was making $20 bucks, so he was still taking up a big amount of cap space. He was. I think and, you I do. Mean, I think you go to and you, Super Bowl you, you wouldn't G. have had, I mean, who's to say you wouldn't have even had Sam Bradford on your roster because Jimmy Garoppolo might not have gotten injured. I mean, that's stuff that we can't project, project but... Um, Say I don't know. I, say, I, say they I, go to the Super Bowl if they draft Jimmy G. I don't think I can. I don't think I can because I don't think that it was just that. I really don't. Well, being that close with Case Keenum, I think that they go fourteen and two or something that year. Uh, with if it's he Jimmy G, he would have been three year starter at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's possible if Shermer if Shermer's his offensive coordinator. Um, I think you see a lot of what a lot of like the same similarities mm-hmm. of oh, what yeah, yeah. It's they would have done in San play Francisco. And stuff. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, to what he did this year, you know, I mean, that one's sure, fun for me though. That that's a really interesting one. If you were going to dive back in and try to figure out, I mean, Garoppolo seems more like a Mike Zimmer quarterback um, in terms of like the conservative play calling and what he wants him to do, and he'll take a sack and he'll do all that stuff. Probably even more so than Kirk. Jonathan discovers the Vikings gave up 40th and 108th pick, which were used to draft Kyle Van Noy and Cassius Marsh. So I don't. Fully regret uh, that no. if, if I'm the Vikings. All right, let's. Kyle do- Van Noy just got paid. Yeah, yeah. He's no, he's a good player for sure. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, um, so there's these rumblings and reports now about Tua Tagovailoa, and uh, I've just I've just got a, a statement for the Vikings about Tua. When we return, here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need. When you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. 
In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or just use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Also at scorenorth.com right now, Matthew Collar's got the third part of his series on the best Vikings draft fits at their positions, and this time it's the wide receivers. The first two parts were the cornerbacks and the offensive linemen, so go check out who Matthew Collar has as the best wide receiver fits for the Vikings based on playing style, production, NFL combine results, and realistic possibility of being selected. That is free over at scorenorth.com and on the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I will remember my tease from last segment and start right out with this. A statement for the Minnesota Vikings about Tua Tagovailoa. There have been reports recently, of course, anonymous or former executive says this or this or this or this, that he failed a physical or that he did not reveal all injuries that he's had in the past. Whatever certainly sounds to me like somebody wants him to drop. Probably the Miami Dolphins want to make sure that he gets to five so they can select him there. There's been conversations about teams who like Justin Herbert better and on and on and on. And you never know what's going to happen on draft night. Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper were fighting one year over whether Jimmy Clausen would go number one or number two overall, and he went in the second round. So it does happen. If Tua falls, Lamar Jackson stunned us when he fell to 32. If Tua falls and is available at 22, you select him, Vikings, and you apologize to no one. And if it turns out to be the worst draft pick you've ever made and the guy falls down the stairs in his first time visiting TCO Performance Center and never walks again, (laughs) you apologize to no one. You select Tua and you never look back and and you go forward with him as potentially your franchise quarterback. But if it blows up in your face, I will never, ever, 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 ever criticize you for it. There is my statement to the Vikings and Tua. Nobody can criticize you for that. No one. Whether it whether it's a boomer bust pick and whether he plays at all in 2020 or even 2021, nobody can criticize you for that. Just given the value of the quarterback position, where he is ranked among the best quarterbacks in this draft, arguably one A, one B, one or two. Um, if he is there at 22, I think it's irresponsible for a team to not take him. Yes. I think you'd have to. Yep. And I've read the stuff. I know Michael Lombardi was saying that he failed a physical, uh, that he uncovered some sort of like previously unreported injury, called him brittle. Um, I don't really know what the long game is there. If Lombardi is trying to, I don't know, like he's not working for a team right now, but uh, if that's any sort of draft rhetoric that is, hey, why don't you go drop this nugget out there, and then mm-hmm. it's going to scare yeah. off Washington, that's going to scare off Detroit, it's going to scare off Dave Gettleman, and Maybe he'll just land at five with the Dolphins. Um, It's interesting that this stuff all is coming out now, which I'm not surprised about whatsoever. This is going to dominate every single NFL news headline from now for the next 14 days as we get up to draft night. And it will be intriguing if come 13 days from now, on that Wednesday, if we're starting to hear Miami stir a little bit, or maybe there's another team like the Chargers potentially to stir a little bit, um, and if it goes away, and if it's, no, I'm not, you know, I am fully healthy, because I believe his agent, Lee Steinberg, as of like an hour ago, uh, was on 790 The Ticket, I believe that's in the Florida area, um, and he said that, quote, you know, the prospects doctors have, quote, 
have been very clear that Tua's health is fine. There's no recurrence that's going to happen here. Um, of course, your agent's going to say that and try to squash all the off the draft room. He wants to see his prospect taken as high as possible, get the most money as possible. Um, but this, to me, kind of feels like some seeds are being planted to specifically have him land uh, in a place whose colors are orange and teal. Yes, that's what, that's very much what it feels like. Uh, and, you know, it, in terms of pre-draft stuff in the weeks leading up to the draft, we always have one of these. Remember, Cam Newton's smile was questioned one year, and was it uh, genuine or not? Uh, there was, um, last year, it was Charlie Casserly got made fun of by the entire internet because he said something like, Kyler Murray doesn't understand football or whatever. Remember, Kyler Murray's going to play baseball? Remember yeah. all that? Uh, and how did that work out? Um, no, he was a number one overall draft pick, and he was really, really good. So, um, and, and it looks like he could be the next franchise quarterback who's a playmaker and takes that team to another he level. That's a great wide and on receiver. And on and on. So oftentimes these, you should just ignore them. They don't mean anything. Uh, but if they do, perchance, mean something to someone that they, the Tua drops in the draft, I would even say it's not crazy and totally justifiable if the Vikings wanted to trade up to get him if he was at a certain spot. Because there is nothing more valuable than this position, and it's not even close. And I'll give you a great example. When Adrian Peterson ran for 2,097 yards, one of the great running back seasons in the history of our earth, they were number one in rushing yards per attempt in the entire National Football League. Guess where the offense ranked in yards total? 20th. So if you don't have a great quarterback, you are stuck. You're not going anywhere. And the league has even changed since 2012 over the last uh, eight years to be even more toward passing. So if you can draft someone with the potential to be a franchise quarterback, I don't care if you need a guard. I don't care if you need a receiver. I don't care if you need a corner. You draft that player. Well, yeah, and especially if he falls to 22. And, yes, there are injury concerns. And until he plays and until he proves that those are no longer a thing, because he had, what, the wrist, he had the ankle, he had the hip. I mean, it's a multitude of things. It's not like, oh, he had a torn ACL and, you know, he's he's recovering from that and he'll be fine. It's the only thing he's experienced. I mean, there is an injury history here that a lot of teams are probably going to get gun-shy on. But we knew this was going to be the rhetoric that formed around Tua when – Pro days were canceled when pre-draft visits were not a thing. Um, Because he's not having every single doctor of every single team he could have possibly visited touch him and feel him and make sure he's okay, there's going to be these rumors that fly out and fly around. And I think that if you're the Minnesota Vikings, yes, you probably should go get a cornerback at 22 because that is the most pressing need as it stands right now. And then defensive end. And then trade or trade your second first round pick for more picks so you can get wide receivers, et cetera, et cetera. You're not going to be able to do that, though, if two is sitting right there because I think the temptation is going to be too high because at some point you're going to have to move on from Kirk Cousins, even though he's kind of got you by the throat right now on this next con- next contract, mm-hmm. even when it looks like it's going to be up in 2023. Um, you know, going into that, you know, where, where people are expecting the cap to go way, way, way up and, and all that stuff and, yeah. and what his cap hit's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. This is your chance, essentially, 
to have the contingency plan in place and be ready to go when the time is right mm-hmm. and ready to move yep. on because you've already shown that you're kind of like Jeremiah Slayer Searle said, said on the show two weeks ago that you sold your soul to <laughs> Kirk Cousins because you had yes. to. Well, you got to find a way out of that if you truly do not think he is anything more than what he is right now. And if two is there, you know, you don't have to play him right away. If these injury concerns are still kind of lingering, why not let him sit? And make him, you know, make him healthy again. I mean, a year off might not be the worst thing for him. And think about it this way, too. Let's say that this year Kirk repeats what he did last year, wins another playoff game, and uh, with a weakened team, has a great performance, and you just really like where you stand with Kirk Cousins going forward. And you could trade two anytime you want sure. and get a draft Josh pick back. Rosen. Yeah, yeah Josh right. Rosen situation. I'm wondering one thing, though. Just riddle me this, because I, I know that the rhetoric out there, and it's all, you know, like like when I was telling you yesterday, yesterday about my draft sim, because I tried PFF's new machine that they have out there, yeah. and in one of them, because it was based off positional value, and I think their, their algorithm's a little different, but one of them had the Giants taking to a one pick before the mm-hmm. Miami Dolphins. If that's the case, do you th- I mean, it's certainly all signs point to either Fitzmagic for another season or at least to start the season and then Josh Rosen, but do or do they just turn the reins over to Josh Rosen right away? So that would put them in a really tough position because they would probably take Herbert and I think that's a mistake. If you take Justin Herbert with a pick that's that high for someone that I don't look at I don't, as I wouldn't take Herbert. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take Herbert at 5. I'd take a defensive lineman. They need one. They should continue to fill out their defense. So, I mean, think about this if they win 5 games with Fitzpatrick in the worst roster ever or they could take, you know, the, the best tackle. They could take Tristan Wirfs or they could take Andrew Thomas. And uh, right now, you know, who's playing tackle for the Miami Dolphins? I have yeah. no idea. After, uh, After last year. losing tons of Right, exactly. So uh, you then go into camp with Fitzpatrick and Rosen. If Rosen looks like he is better with a team that's better around him, then you give him a shot. Or you could just, you know, Fitzpatrick won 10 games on the maybe one and only good team he ever played for, which was the New York Jets <laughs> with Brandon Marshall. You go through every other team Fitz has ever played for. There, there was one or two in Buffalo that were okay, but they didn't have good defenses. Um, he rarely has ever gotten a shot to play with good teams. I bet you can be fairly competitive in a weakened division without Tom Brady anymore uh, next year if you're take, continuing to take that long view with the number of players that they've signed as opposed to trying to win right away. And anyway, if you draft Tua or you draft Herbert, you're not winning right away anyway. So they could wait for the next draft to try to trade up to get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. That would be a tough one, but continue to stack draft capital. Trade down if you're the Miami Dolphins. Maybe take Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts later. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think if Tua does go off the board, they have all sorts of different options that are good for them. But I fear, uh, because they are the Dolphins, that they will be desperate and take Justin Herbert. Yeah, I, and that's a mistake. You know that's a mistake. Like, there's, you can't get gun shy when you miss out on the guy that you really want. And then that leads you to making a mistake that could set you back five years. I mean, we know right. with the quarterback's position in specific that you can't mess that one up. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you do, it's several years before you're back in contention to try to get it right again. Yeah, and I, I never hate the idea, just for our love for journeyman quarterbacks, to have a journeyman quarterback start in that position and sort of see how it goes. And then, uh, you know, the following year you draft a quarterback – 
you know, fans don't love that. They want somebody new in there right away. But like you said, I mean, there's a huge gap in my mind still, despite the reporting and whatever Michael Lombardi said, there's a huge gap between Tua and Justin Herbert for me. And uh, that's where I, I just, if I'm the Dolphins, I want to trade back and see if he's there later or take Love instead or take Jalen Hurts instead. I, I don't want to waste a pick that high to do that. Uh, let me tell you about something I read in The Athletic that was interesting. Um, Jason Fitzgerald for Over the Cap was interviewed by The Athletic, and he was talking about the Vikings here. And I'll just read you his quote because it's sort of what we've been talking about. But I, I think he's in the right direction, but I'm not sure that they think how he's thinking. I'll just preface it that way. Uh, Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap, whose site we use all the time, great cap expert, he says, when the Vikings fell short last year, my guess is they took a good look at their roster without purple-colored glasses and said, it's probably not going to happen this year, meaning 2020. If we go out with this team, we're going to be compromised with our salary cap moving forward. Um, So we need to, uh, uh, when we start to add players, and he says, I think that they decided to go to a soft rebuild where you're keeping enough guys to compete for the playoffs, and then I think they're looking at getting this roster back in order to where in 2020 they could start doing some good things uh, 2021 to improve the team. Um, Do we think that at TCO Performance Center, they are looking at this now as a soft rebuild? Reboot, I think, is the word that I would use because I just can't look at the Kirk Cousins extension because you had every chance to... Let him play out the final year of your contract. Yeah, you're screwed against the cap this year if you do that because you can't do anything. You cannot sign Michael Pierce. You, who knows what you do uh, in free agency? Who knows what the subsequent moves are? I mean, you certainly don't franchise Anthony Harris, but would that have been the worst thing in the world if they just let Kirk play it out and then they would have been more more or less conceding to the fact that they would be in a full-on rebuild instead of a reboot? Maybe. Um, but to me, it's just like there's so many moves that are still going to happen that will give at least the impression that they think they're all in. Dalvin Cook getting an extension being one of them because they know they can't be competitive and they can't win if they don't have him alongside with Kirk because the key to Kirk's success so many times is through Dalvin Cook. Um but I also think that for for as much as the moves may, you know, it says one thing but it means another. Um I think that there is the belief that their hands are kind of tied right now and whatever happens happens and that you know that's probably if you're looking at this kind of from like the you know the what does it mean level well why hasn't Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer gotten a contract extension yet the point signs are pointing right that 2020 might be it and at this point they might not be able to do anything more than what they've already done. So what would you have called it if they did let Kirk play out the rest of his contract? In terms of like trying to label this, is it a soft uh, rebuild, is it a reboot, or whatever? What would you call that? I would call it a rebuild because they would have been conceding. because They, they probably still would have traded Diggs. Um, it's just not going to happen. We need to be able to eventually, we even need a clear path to cut our losses, which would have been after the 2020 season. So let Kirk play out the final year of his deal. If somehow they go 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six miraculously and they, and they you know, win a wild card game or if they even get to the playoffs, chalk it up as a, that's okay. You know, that's, that's more than we expected. And then you can cut ties with the front office and you can cut ties with the coaching staff and you can start over because you'd be bringing in a quarterback that the new GM and new head coach would want. Um, and you can just say, hey, we tried. This is what the market called for in 2018, the quarterback market, and it didn't pan out. And we're going to try again, but 
right now we need to start drafting for the future. Mm -hmm. So that to me is like where you would make a very clear argument. Had Kirk not been extended, I would have been thinking right away you'd be trying to get a quarterback in this draft. The extension is what really throws everything off in terms of figuring out what their timeline is supposed to be. So now it does feel like, yeah, it has to be 2021 because you really don't have much of a choice. That you could compete for the playoffs with Harrison Smith and Daniil Hunter and Eric Hendricks and Adam Thielen and and Delvin Cook. You certainly have the talent to be in that conversation, but you don't have the talent to be in the conversation for the Super Bowl. You are now far behind a team like New Orleans or a team like San Francisco who you know didn't lose a whole lot. They trade away DeForest Buckner, but they're going to get a first-round draft pick who might be able to make an impact right away anyway. So there are other teams, even I would put Seattle in that conversation, that are now a little farther ahead of you, and I'm not even sure that you can win the division at this point either, even though it's kind of up in the air. So yeah, 2021, you could be a true competitor if you hit a home run on this draft. Which sort of, then, if we're looking at through that lens, how would that change how we think about this draft? Because Spielman at the Combine is talking about filling positions with the draft. I'm never a big fan of that, as you know, with draft nihilism, but it's also draft look-forward-ism. Is that (laughs) when you try to fill spots right away, you screw it up a lot of times. Well, because if you're anticipating that those players are going to play right away. Right, And, and be good for you. Because a lot of times, like we saw with Garrett Bradbury... And even Mike Hughes gets injured in the first year. Dalvin Cook gets injured in the first year. It just doesn't happen that often when you're drafting 22nd and 25th for somebody to be great right away. So look forward to 2021. If they were taking fully that view, what else would they have done? Is there something else in your mind that they would have done already or will do if they were taking the full view of 2021? I have, I have one thing in mind, but uh, what do you think? Is this your Harrison Smith trade thing that's going to come back and surface? Okay, right there's, now? there's, that would be one of them. Yes. Okay. The other thing, I was just, I can thinking, read your mind. This is so amazing. <laughs> yes. Trading Harrison Smith would be in that category. My other thing would be, um, just you're, you're planning on trading down a lot yeah. to try and stack prospects. If you're I thinking would, 2021, if you're thinking 2021, you could use both of those first round picks to trade down. I mean, I still think you would use one of them. Um, you got to get another corner in there now. And it time doesn't hurt anybody at that position for a wide receiver or an offensive tackle or a defensive end. I think that you could easily trade back and try to acquire more, get another second rounder, get three third rounders. Like, out of that. Yeah, be because fine. there's a lot of talent. You already like, have two. Have five third-round picks. <laughs> right. It'd be awesome. Yeah, that's what I did on my Stratomatic team, and my draft turned out great. No? All right. More people need to get into Stratomatic. I know you guys have time. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think that, that those would be the moves that I would look at and say, yeah, if you're going to really think forward, then Harrison Smith. But how about also Riley Reef? Here's tell me what you, if you think this is a crazy idea to draft someone with a really high ceiling in terms of a tackle either 22 25 or second round wherever you want to take them but plan on starting Rashad Hill as your left tackle for 2020 and my case would be that at times when Rashad Hill has played left tackle he's been much better he's been than better right than when he's, yeah. yes no i mean yes. you're right i mean that's there 
They haven't done anything on the offensive line yet, but that was probably their best depth signing that they brought back. I mean, he's been a starter before for them out of need. And even last year, he looked pretty good in those two games. I think it was Philly and there was one more uh, where he had to, Detroit maybe, he had to start for Riley Reef or take over for him because of injury. And I think he's actually better in pass protection on the left side than he is at right tackle. Right. He looks kind of like a turnstile at right tackle from time to time. Yeah, because he played left tackle his entire life, and I think it's hard to go from it's left hand to right. Placement, yeah. If you if if you're not like really super athletic, and you can make up for some of those things, like Brian O'Neill has been able to do. Um, but you know, I don't hate that idea. You create cap space, then you draft your next tackle. It worked out pretty well for Brian O'Neill to pop in halfway through the season and take over. You probably suffer in the run blocking for sure. That's never been Rashad Hill's. You know, best thing, but it's also a tackle, and yeah. so you know, it's. Not I'd rather have somebody who's better in pass protection and shore up my interior of my of my offensive line than worry about Rashad Hill's run blocking. That's not my primary concern. And there's just no reason to keep Riley Reef if you're thinking 2021. No, I mean, they have to start planning. I mean, I know that we've got so many different needs that we talk about, but something with the offensive line, they need a two to three year plan that they need to start thinking about on that left side because after this season, Pat Offline's going into the final year of his contract. I mm-hmm. do not think that they will want to bring him back. Yeah. Riley Reef has one more year after 2021. There's no way in hell that he's on this roster at that point. You need to start rebuilding the left side of the offensive line. So if they were to concede, had it worked out differently during free agency, that Kirk isn't coming back for two more years and you know really handicapping them even further against the cap just because of how, how that – contract is structured, then you probably could have been going all in to try to find your next left tackle and try to find uh, interior help that's going to shore up that side of the line. So whomever, if it was Tua that dropped, or even next year, um, at the, looking at the free agent quarterback market, if, if you were able to move on from Kirk Cousins, that you'd at least have that problem addressed so it's not just another problem that's sitting there stewing. Can I give you a very quick pie chart assignment, but, <sighs> but with only with only uh, three options? Okay. Okay, that's actually easier so, for uh, me. Yeah, make it real easy. So I want you to do a pie chart of blame for offensive line failures. Okay. One is bad luck. Number two is hold on, my pen died. My pen died. My oh pen died. My hold on, gosh. hold on, hold on. All right, number one, bad no, luck. No, number two is that they just don't know how to get good offensive linemen and build an offensive line. And number three is they haven't had the resources. So give me a pie chart on those three things for why it's been such a big failure during the Mike Zimmer era. Okay. Talk you, amongst are, yourself. Are you drawing it out? Yes, okay. I'm drawing right. it out. I know well, you can't see me so right now. The bad luck element is that you know somebody like TJ... Injur- injuries, TJ Clemens. TJ Clemens, you 2016, draft, sure. Yeah, you draft in the fourth round, you hope that he develops, and he got worse. <laughs> it's like you just... It's hard to predict, because sometimes you draft a guy, and by his second or third year, he's developed, and he's great. Um, the, the Brian O'Neill thing is actually a stroke of good luck for them, but the bad luck is that Pat Elfline was actually going to be a good center. I really feel that way. And then he has the shoulder and the ankle injury, and those set him way back. And then he has to change positions. And so I'm not saying that they should stick with him, but I'm only saying that circumstances really determine what he's become. I think if he stays healthy and gets way stronger as a center, we're never talking about drafting Garrett Bradbury. All right, I've got it. Okay, Okay. go ahead. So... Oh wait, I've got to flip two things. Oh, um, okay, I've got it. I've got it. It's very hard. Okay. They only gave so, you three things. I know, but I was. I got a hundred percent. No, it's not the math that was 
throwing me off. All right, so 50% I'm saying is bad luck because think about how many injuries they had in 2016 oh, yeah. and the slide that they had from 5-0 and to 8-8. Eight and eight. I mean, that was I – mean, we've talked about it with Boone a hundred times. Like, they were playing musical chairs yep. every they – they had depth and they did, then they didn't have depth. And, you know, you had problems with both of your tackles pretty much before you got a third into the season. Didn't, you, didn't they lose somebody in training camp that year, too? Um, in 2016, yeah, yes, it was. Who was it? Um, well, let's see. They they released John Sullivan and somebody else. Maybe retired. Injuries, retirement, the whole thing. Bad luck. Was it? Uh, Lod- even- I think Phil Lodeholt might have just retired. And then in 17, too, they go five weeks with their starting five, and then every single week to new combination because of injuries. I think bad luck has been. A huge part of it. Um, you know, the fact that you had to move Mike Remmers from right tackle to right guard was simply out of need because you were in desperation. Nick Easton breaks his neck in practice. Um, yeah. I mean, right. you can't you yeah. can't blame that stuff on anything other than bad luck. So that's 50 percent. 35 percent. Actually, I'll go. I'll do my other one. 15 percent on the no resources. I think that's a bunch of bull. Because mm-hmm. take a look back at last year. You didn't need to bring Anthony Barr back. You didn't need to bring Everson Griffin back last year. You didn't need to restructure and bring Kyle Rudolph back. Think about those three things alone and the financial resources that you would have had to go after an offensive lineman. Not necessarily Roger Saffold or anything like that, but you could have restructured Reef. You could have cut him. You could have used the money that you would have that you used on the players that I just mentioned to try to go upgrade your offensive line there. So I don't buy that they didn't have the resources. I don't think they allocated the resources properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thirty-five percent. I guess I'd say. I mean, I just you know not knowing how to build it. Like, what could they have done other than? I mean, they drafted Garrett Bradbury because they said, "Hey, Pat Alfine, you're not a fit at center." Well, he's actually worse at left guard than he was at center. So where was the logic behind that? And right. some of the moves. I mean, I've seen. Over the years, like the one that I mentioned with Remmers moving to right guard, a position he had played all of like half a game. I think it was at Chicago. Was it that yes, Chicago yeah. game in seventeen? There, there's a lot like, of mismanagement just like, that went into what? this. What like things that you're thinking like this guy has never played this position before, and now you're having him start here. Like I understand yeah. it's out of desperation, but good lord. So, and I and I checked all of those percentages add up to a hundred. So great job, great job. This is some of your best work, and you know it's it's. An, Baby steps. I'm getting there. But I'm also I'm also with you on uh, feeling like some of it has been a good chunk of it has been just bad luck. Where yeah. you know, I mean, even going back to 2016, you're starting two tackles get hurt pretty much right away, and you haven't had the luck to have just drafted some rando and have him turn out to be great, like Danny Isadora or something. Like if he usually. That's what happens when a team has you know, a very good offensive line is that at least one or two guys on the line, you're like, where did they get that guy? Fifth round? Well, he's a good player. And they just haven't really had one of those, which maybe you, is mismanagement, but, but I think it's also luck. You never know, though, this year. I mean, if we take Mike Zimmer and what he said about Oliudo and Drew Samia at, at face value, that last year was their redshirt year, and this year they're anticipating big things out of these guys because – when you look at the offensive line now and all the problems you have to fix, you're probably going to have to start with the guys that you currently have under contract simply because you're not going to have the time with the rookies to get them acclimated to play co- like NFL football. Like, mm-hmm. This is not going to happen. So maybe it is Ole Udo. Maybe they will hit on Drew Samia and will be like, Why? oh, yeah, yeah, last year was a redshirt year. They just yeah, needed some yeah. time to simmer in the crock pot. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, if, they can, if that doesn't happen... 
then I think you can even even like amp that percentage up a little bit more about they just don't know how to do this because, you know, who's calling the shots here? I mean, they've had five offensive coordinators under Mike Zimmer. And they still haven't been right. able to get this right. And I'm not. And you know, several blame- different offensive line coaches yeah. also. Yeah, and, and different philosophies, easier. you yeah. know, from what, what Sperano wanted to run to what they ran with, um, you know, last year with Rick Dennison and even before that with Clancy Barone. I mean, they've just been. There's been a lot. And I don't know. Maybe it's a changing of philosophy and maybe it's just like the musical chair element that the offensive line has had here. I would say league wide, this is a position that constantly has turnover. Oh, yeah but not necessarily at certain spots. I mean, you see 10-year left tackle veterans. I mean, that's that's a staple in the NFL, but the amount of turnover that they have, I don't know the exact like where it would stack up against all 31 of their teams, but I feel like theirs is pretty high. And there's also in terms of blaming them if you value run blocking over pass blocking, then you've made a mistake, and they've made a mistake in several of those places. So let's uh, take a break, and when we come back, you have written three hot routes, and I've filled in the other two. So we've got questions from the headlines to discuss. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or that free Score North mobile app. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 580! Green In fashion that's taking a lot longer these days because no one in the NFL is making moves, so that's what we've got to do. Uh, Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and you have authored the first three hot routes. So it is not Collar has questions, it is Cronin has questions to start out. So kick it up, Jonathan, and why don't you begin, Courtney, with your first question? Sure. So Stefan Diggs has not played a down yet for the Bills, but Buffalo-based restaurant Stack Burger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You li- you live there. You can tell me if that's a good place or not. Uh, they've already come up with a sandwich. They're calling its quote craziest creation yet, which is a <laughs> a four patty. Oh, they're wild, <laughs> out of control Stack Burger. <laughs> Everyone's talking about how crazy it is. A four patty <laughs> burger called Can You Digs It? I am. Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, number, so it's like a two part question. Um, to my knowledge, in the Twin Cities, and if anybody's out there that can verify this, uh, please tweet us. But to my knowledge, there was never a restaurant that named anything after Stefan Diggs a sandwich, a pasta dish, an ice cream um, while he was in Minnesota, which I was just kind of like, it made me think. I'm like, how? How could you, like, you know, it'd be the easiest thing in the world to come up with the Miracle Whip and just have something for Stefan Diggs and have something fly off the burger like when he threw his helmet. Like, you put it to your mouth and the cheese flies off. (laughs) in in, in, (laughs) Because it's like Diggs throwing his helmet. 
After oh, no, he scored? I got it. I was just trying to figure out how you get the cheese to fly off. I mean, it's like a Juicy Lucy just comes, like, squirting oh, out of right, there, okay, right? sure, yeah. So, um, that was a little interesting. I guess, you know, two-part two question. Are you guys surprised that no restaurant came up with anything like that? And then I want you to pick a current Viking, name a food item after him, and then tell me what's in it. Um, so, I'll say this about the, the Diggs burger. If I was going to make one for him in Minnesota, I would have had to, you just have to guess what's inside it. I, right? Are <laughs> you saying, like, which version are you going to get today? Well, well, no, just because we never knew what any of his tweets meant. So you just, like, <laughs> what is going on inside Stefan Diggs? None of us know. So I like what that. What is going inside on, with this burger inside? You know, you know what it is? It's like, you remember those Tootsie Pops that you get at the bank or at the dentist uh, that have the question mark oh, on yeah, it, the, the mystery, mystery flavor? Yep. That's the yep. Diggs flavor. Yep, for sure. Uh, so that is part one. I might have to think of some more punny ones because the one that came to mind for me is just too obvious. A burger with extra ham for CJ Ham. That's good. That's I mean, good. right? It's the obvious answer, but someone had to go there. Okay. Jonathan? Whatever, guys. Uh, not surprised by the name thing, but the uh, the food item that I'm coming up with, I'm still trying to figure out a name that doesn't sound wildly inappropriate. It's basically chicken <laughs> noodle soup. But you replace the chicken with whatever the mystery meat that Kirk Cousins was cooking. Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> Yeah, the weird. liver or whatever yeah. it was. I can't come up with a name that doesn't sound wildly inappropriate. How so. strange is Kirk Cousins, by the way? <laughs> like, so, I mean, he has this weird, strange-o meat, and then he tries to claim, it's like, oh, it's just a normal meat, and you're like, no, it isn't. And then he Great, says... it's not normal. Then he says something later, like, I'm cooking regular steaks now. And I'm like, wait, I thought you were one of those health nut guys, but now you're cooking regular steaks because everyone bullied your weird meat online? <laughs> Don't you remember the rumor that he was a vegan, and that's the reason that during free agency they didn't go to Manny's, and they ended up at the Capitol Grill? <laughs> yes, My goodness. that's right. We yeah, worry too right. much about their dietary habits. We need to leave that alone. I want um, my quarterback eating steak that's solid so uh not avocado ice cream i mean don't knock it till you try it that's what tom brady says uh anyways it irritates me because michael floyd has a burger named after him in the state of minnesota at whatever the restaurant is across from creton Durham hall where he went to high school so if michael floyd could get a burger named after him how was there not one for stefan Diggs? so miracle whip Maybe someone will make it happen. Maybe that's why he left, because he was irritated that he wasn't treated more like a celebrity. didn't have a burger? Like a ce- yeah. No, they wasn't treated more like a celebrity. Um, my food item, it's not a burger, um, I'm going to call mine The Hunter, which I think is fairly obvious who that's named after, and it's going to be... You have to kill it and they cook it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a... <laughs> it's a Chipotle burrito with double meat. And triple of everything else in it, two tortillas, and it's so big it just explodes everywhere. So you can't really eat it. It should be a burrito bowl, but they try to pack it into this thing because he's a massive human being to begin with, and he mauls people. So you'd, I mean, it just. It, it it's looks just, like his muscles, the way yes, that it's it looks, protruding out. Well, okay, I was I considering that. calling it the Greek god, uh, but like, <laughs> I can't think of any, not like hearty, meaty Greek food. Like you know, like yeah, it's usually lamb um, or shish kebab like, yeah. or like gyro. Like that's not that's not intimidating. No, no, the it's hunter, the, the burrito, but... the, the burrito that's the size of like you know my head is pretty intimidating. Other options might be something to do with the brand- blandness. The, well, the, well, I, I was gonna go with like the Bradbury burger where it has like various berries, but I don't want to eat a burger with berries <laughs> on it. Uh, I was also thinking if they chopped it up into very small pieces, you could call it the Austin cutting burger. Cutting. 
it up into small pieces. What's your next question? (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught the interview with Howard Stern yesterday and Tom Brady. He's fantastic at interviewing people. I actually, when I was younger, used to sneak... Uh, up late at night to watch the Howard Stern show on E! when it was on at like 10 or 11 p.m. It was after-hours TV, so they could actually use bad words. Mm. Um, And, I mean, even back then... What a raucous child you were. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it was very highly inappropriate if you remember watching what that show was and some of the things they had people do on that show. But nonetheless, (laughs) Howard Stern, one of the best interviewers out there, and it is just crazy the information that he in casual conversation gets out of people. Um, One of the bigger takeaways from that interview yesterday was that Tom Brady, quote, never cared about legacy. Do you buy that? I mean, one, one thing I will give NBA players like LeBron James is that I don't think he makes any bones about it, that he cares a ton about his legacy and being compared to Michael Jordan and it's about championships and things like that. And even Kevin Durant, who is a strange fella at times and has burner accounts and chastised the Oklahoma City media despite the fact that all they did was write good things about him forever. Um, He has made it pretty clear that even winning championships in Golden State was a little bit empty for him because people gave Steph Curry more credit and love Steph Curry more. So acknowledging that, to say that he didn't care about his legacy is just... I mean, it's just preposterous. This is part of it. If you didn't care about your legacy, then why'd you go to somewhere where you're trying to win another championship instead of staying with a team that fell apart so you could be a Patriot for life? You know, every player of, of greatness will care about whether they're talked about as one of the best of all time. And for somebody as competitive as Tom Brady to say that, no, you can't buy it. But in football, maybe it's just different. Maybe it's different to come out and actually acknowledge it, unlike it is with the NBA. I mean, I don't believe it at all. You don't leave New England after 20 years of success if you're not concerned about showing that it was you who led to that success and not the coach, which many people also credit for the success there. You don't go to another place if you're not concerned about your legacy in the game, how people think of you, and you want another place to think of you the same way that New England does. That has to be part of it. Now, what do you think it means, Courtney, for Tom Brady's legacy if he wins with the Bucks? Like, will, will Jonathan be right there? Will people say, huh, yeah, I guess you're a real genius, Belichick? Yeah, I think there will be those people who put Brady over Belichick and say that, yeah, you didn't need the greatest coach of all time, the man who claims to have invented all the rules of football and, and can be the GM and the head coach. He doesn't need him to be successful. I, snark. I know. I just, just put it on. Um, I hear the screeching in my head right now. Um, anyways, but it's... I just don't buy it. Like, I mean, for him to say he doesn't care about his legacy, then why are you trying to play until you're 45? If you have nothing left to prove, yeah. then you clearly... You would have retired a while ago. Yeah, you would have retired when you, like, you know, if, if Giselle wanted you home all those years during OTAs, because apparently that matters, um, you would have done it a while ago. You would have hung it up after the sixth ring. You wouldn't have tried to go for a seventh. I mean, if you don't care about your legacy, I just think that's nonsense. Every human being wants to be remembered for something good that they did. I just finished this book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom, and the whole premise of it was that the main character, Eddie, was going through life after he died and then was in heaven thinking, I haven't done anything. I didn't do anything with my life. Everybody wants to be remembered for something good that they did with their life. And and for you to say, I don't care about my legacy, how arrogant can you get? Nobody's buying that BS. Of course you care about your legacy, otherwise you would have retired. 
I feel like you included that question in Hot Routes so you could have that rant. <laughs> eh, no, it kind of came off the cuff. I think that's the the Cronin legacy. Like, uh, the, the, what we'll be talking about is not the great Vikings reporting you do, but the epicness of your rants. I mean, I don't. I didn't have a code words rant. I mean, I'm nowhere near where you're where you are. Like, I I care about my legacies. I, I care about my legacy in terms of the rants. So I have so much further to go. The code word rants was probably my Case Keenum season, though. Like, I I haven't been able to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, nothing's come organically since then. No, about no, no. That, no. I, but, I mean, I have ranted about other things, but definitely not to that level where I slap the glass over here next to me. <laughs> All right, your uh, your third question. Um, for hot routes, Courtney, go ahead. The NFL draft is two weeks from today, so like what, two weeks and three hours away, seven PM Central Time. I'll be sitting here in a room with no windows. Actually, it's no different than when we're at TCO uh, for three days straight. I want both of you to recklessly speculate on one wild thing that's going to happen mm. in the days, final hours, and minutes leading into the draft. Okay, so not after not, it started. Th- when drafts start, doesn't count. So think, I don't know, think back to maybe a gas mask bong video that came out. Uh, or about Josh f- Allen's racist tweets. Yes. Which turned yes. out to be rap yeah, it was uh, that. That was two days. I want to say before, right? That was. I remember yeah, I was in Bristol when that whole thing came it, yeah. out. So yeah, give me something that's going to happen wildly in the next fourteen days. Jonathan, I've got two of them here. One, it's very draft specific. My Vegas Raiders. I'm just calling them my Vegas Raiders at this point. They will use their two first round picks and probably another pick at some point to move up so they can draft Tua and then second, the New York Jets minutes before the draft starts. We'll fire Adam Gase. Wow. Okay. That is pretty wow. reckless. Yes. Just because. Firing Adam Gase before. Well, why don't you go ahead with this one, Courtney? I got to think a little bit more on what would happen right before. Well, mine's like in the days leading up to it. I yeah. think that okay. they changed the format entirely. I think that we see rounds one, Ooh. two, and three each like on their that. own day. And I think that. Uh, you know, whatever happens, splitting four and five on one day, seven and seven and six and seven. I almost skipped the letter there, number there. Um, on another day, and then undrafted free agency. I think we see two days of it as its own round and its own thing. So I think the whole format changes. I am going to say that in the days leading up, we hear about the insane offers being given to Washington to move up to number two, or even to Cincinnati to move up to number one, and I'm going to say that somebody pulls that off, whether it's Miami or whomever moves up to the top, let's even say three, and and trades right before the draft starts. They move up to the top three in order to try and get Tua, and then maybe we are shocked by the fall of of someone like Chase Young. Maybe he falls farther down than we think because even though he's a very good edge rusher, teams are looking a little more toward the positional value drafting quarterbacks, corners up at the top, and that's what ends up happening. That we do get our epic trade at the very top of the draft. How about that? I like that. Is that that not reckless enough? I mean, I feel like we... That's average recklessness. It's average recklessness. Because every year there's always somebody trying to move up for the top spot. How about this? I'll go full reckless and say that the New England Patriots are the team that trades up to try and get Tua. The Patriots trade everything they have. That Belichick has decided to go Mike Dicka style for Tua and trade everything he's got. That's more reckless. That's definitely because we're all thinking at this point they're tanking, right? 
I would think so, but maybe Jared Stidham, who is, uh, you know, I don't know, he's a guy. I don't know much about him. Maybe he's, he certainly exists in real life, but aside from that, I don't know if he could play football. Maybe they think he actually can, and they've sort of been right before with Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Castle as their backups who have come in and won. So, all right, uh, I wrote the final two hot routes because you were busy. Um, Trent Dilfer compared Tua Tagovailoa's arm to Dan Marino's which is totally a normal and rational thing to do. I want you to pick a potential draft pick for the Vikings, so somebody who would be a draft fit, and be insanely hyperbolic about why that person is so great for the Vikings. So just pick anybody and tell me why they are a fit, but go way over the top. So I love Lance Zierlein and his draft breakdowns, mm-hmm. and I think they are detailed and they're awesome. Um I always kind of pause when I see NFL comparison because any scout yeah, that you yeah. talk to in the in like who does their job well, they hate that. They hate when you try to compare players to you know college players to current to current NFL players and to project them out. So I'm just going to go ahead and I and I look at I looked at what he's compared this player to, and I'm just going to go ahead and take it you know like 69 steps further. Trayvon <laughs> Diggs is the next Deion Sanders Ooh. because listen to there this. Listen to this. Overview, talented prospect with rare combination of size, strength, and ball skills. His strengths, elite, height and weight, length, size and strength for unique matchup potential against big targets. So, like, great this, great that. So he's going to be the greatest cornerback of all time when I'm reading this. Sure. And his NFL draft comparison is Aqib Tlaib, who's still very good, but also... If he didn't have other issues, probably he's a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, potentially. So it's, you know, I think I took that a step a little further um, and moderately further and said he's going to be Deion Sanders. Wow, this is amazing. Jonathan, you said we've got a match. Yeah, that was legitimately. You picked the same one? Yeah. Legitimately the same thing. That's crazy. All right, well, I'll I'll give you uh, a chance to rethink yours, and I will use mine. Denzel Mims will be better. In the NFL, than Randy Moss, that he oh, will be geez. faster, he will jump higher, he will make Randy Moss's first season look like Laquan Treadwell's. That's how great Denzel <laughs> Mims is going to be for the Minnesota Vikings. He is uh, faster, quicker, better route runner, and uh, will just run right by every corner in the league and uh, jump over them if anyone's anywhere close. That's as ludicrous as saying that Tua has a better arm than Dan Marino. That's reaching the uh, Brady Papinga talking about um, was it Taysom Hill being better than Lamar Jackson? Like that—that that is the level of ridiculousness that we're looking at here. All right, Jonathan, take your shot at it. Putting together one quickly, Antoine Winfield will be better than Ed Reed. Okay, perfect. Oh my God. Perfect. Better deep safety than Ed Reed, easily, yeah. hands down. Cover more ground. Yep. Better instincts. Yeah, all over the place. No question about yeah. it. Uh, last one for you guys, hot routes for the day. Um, speaking of Tom Brady, we were talking about him earlier. Rex Ryan made a crack about Geno Smith on Get Up because Rex is just making headlines, and I respect it. If you in the coronavirus era, say whatever the bleep you want. Just like <laughs> people are dying, screw Geno, right? <laughs> he says. Rex Ryan said that uh, basically Belichick wouldn't have won anything if he had Geno Smith as his quarterback. And it's really hard to disagree with the logic. Who is the worst quarterback in the NFL that you believe could still win a Super Bowl? He's bad, but could win. Um, Probably Derek Carr. Okay, I like that. 
I, I say that because in my mind, I'm going back to that 2016 season when that team, everything on that team except for their past defense, their cornerbacks were trash, and one one of them ended up ended up in jail, I believe, like two years later. Um, so yeah, there there was that, and had he not had the the leg injury. I think that they probably would have gone to the AFC Championship that mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And I think that they could have won a Super Bowl. They were really good. Best mm-hmm. offensive line. I know everybody was saying great things about Dallas that year. I still think the Raiders had the best offensive line. Um, and he's not good. Like He's, he's not, not a good, good. He's like no. the 20th best quarterback in the league. Yes, okay. correct. Perfect, perfect pick. How about you, Jonathan? I'm going to go Ryan Tannehill here. He had 10 good games, and all of a sudden we all rethink how we thought of him the previous five seasons. Right. So... I think that he might be able to win one just because that team, the way it's set up with their coach, I think they they might be able to make a run in the playoffs if everything goes right for them. Good selection. Um, I think the obvious answer is Nick Foles. (laughs) He's not a good answer, and he won a Super Bowl. Or he's not a good quarterback, and he already did, so he still could do it again. The other answer I thought of is, at this moment, two years into his career, Baker Mayfield is not a good quarterback. But you could see it as much as anybody. Like, Kyler Murray last year, you could make a case that he was a good quarterback last season. Uh, and the other youngins, Josh Allen, tough one to buy into. Daniel Jones, tough to believe. Baker Mayfield has a high ceiling but has been absolutely no good. That's not to say that I would bet on it, but you could see it. There aren't actually that many in the NFL bad quarterbacks. Uh, I, I don't know what to think of Gardner Minshew yet, but I would say he's probably a bad quarterback at this point. There's so much mediocrity in the NFL for quarterbacks. And then there's three guys that you just love and would take over anybody else. It's a fascinating point in history because I love to watch old games. And you would go back in the 90s or something, and there's four or five teams that have good quarterbacks. And everything else is just god-awful. Mm-hmm. And Vinny Testaverde's playing for a different team every year. And he's still like the eighth-best quarterback in the league. <laughs> it's just... It's funny where we are now with a lot of a lot of good, not great in terms of quarterbacks. So, all right, that was hot routes. Good job, Courtney, with your first three questions. I was reading an article about uh, the Detroit Lions. You could sort of tack this on to hot routes, potentially trading down uh, or different trade options that they have for teams looking to trade up. What do you think the the Lions are going to do? Because it makes a lot of sense Linebacker, to me. Linebacker, right? Isn't that like isn't <laughs> that something like, stupid? Yes. Well, so. I mean, sadly, I've seen that in more than one mock draft. Yeah. If the, now, if they well, if they take Isaiah Simmons, it's not crazy because he's a really special player. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to draft a defensive player, don't you just trade down if you're them? Yeah, but I think why, why wouldn't you draft a quarterback if you're them? Oh, because, I totally agree. I like if, I would take you know two if you can there. if you can get rid of. I agree. If you could get rid, and I hate saying it like that, but if you can part ways with Matthew Stafford, because remember how much it would cost and why it's not really a realistic option this year to do that, then you know, come twenty twenty one, why not have two awaiting ready to go? Yeah, I mean, no, I totally you could agree. stink again yep. this year. Do you get the third pick and get Trevor Lawrence? Probably not, because somebody else is going to take him before you. They're not so going to be you... that bad. No, to they're the point not. They're drafted like, number one, That's and right. so at this at this rate, why not? take Tua if he's there like what you know that should have been my reckless speculation that the Lions 
sneak back into the mix, or maybe they're just quietly like waiting in like the shadows right now, and they will draft to a third yeah. overall if Washington passes on him. I would love to see that. I still think that either Washington or Detroit drafting him is a smart move, and Ian Rappaport of NFL Network is reporting, by the way, that Tua underwent a pro day today with fewer than 10 people present in which he threw 55 scripted throws in an hour long and 20 in a, quote, dynamic drill, whatever the hell that means. Uh, so Was everybody socially distanced yeah, in these I drills? would assume so. So there you go. Now, our, uh, our friend George Shahuri is going to come on the show next, and he has posted one minute ago a mock draft or a draft sim. Ooh, let me check this. So uh, we're going to discuss his draft sim. Usually we have people come on in great hours. Uh, we're going to grade his. When we return, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin will talk to George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus when we come back on Purple Daily. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business, and you can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together, and you can hear how you can support our local community by visiting scorenorth.com, keyword open. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can join Score North as we partner with the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. Also over at scorenorth.com right now, Judd Zolgad has the quarterback who comes in at number two in the top five Vikings quarterbacks of all time. Uh, Brett Favre came in as number three yesterday, rather controversially. So I thought you were just about to spoil it there, John. No, 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 Did I you wasn't. almost say who was number two? No, you I was trying to, to figure out how to... free website, scorenorth.com, to see it. I was transitioning, and it, I kind of okay. stumbled over what I was going to say there. But Brett Favre came in as number three, so go figure out... Go find out who's number two on that list over at scorenorth.com. It's all for free right now. Scorenorth.com and the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin joining us now from Pro Football Focus. He has draft simmed in preparation for this with Pro Football Focus's new draft simulator, George Shahuri. George, how do you feel about your draft? I Look, I feel very strong. I, I only had to do like 15 to uh, to get there, and I was trying to get one that I really that I really love. And uh, look, that's the great thing about the draft is it's it's in its nature a kind of random set of events where one move triggers another move triggers another. So by the time it gets to twenty two, so many crazy things can happen, mm-hmm. um, and that's what makes it so fun and exciting. But I, I am personally very happy with how I drafted for the Vikings. Okay, so you've taken Christian Fulton, the corner from LSU, and then Jalen Rager, the TCU receiver, and Michael Pittman, the receiver from USC. Now, you are are going in direction that we have talked about quite a bit here, but a little more aggressively. I have been team multi-receiver draft, because if you put all your eggs in one basket and the guy gets there and turns out that he doesn't know how to run routes, it's happened recently, uh, then you're just in trouble. And, uh, you know, you look at all the second and third round receivers who have turned out to be good in the last few years. George, I, I think it would be smart for somewhere in the first three rounds the Vikings to take two wide receivers. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about this one is, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., who's the guy that I took at 58, um, you know, he could easily go 
he could be a first rounder, top of the second guy. Um, you just never know. But there will be a guy that slips. Um, you know, I, I think about Tyler Johnson too uh, from Minnesota, just down you know down the street there, who you know that doesn't have the the athleticism that people are craving, right? So maybe he slips a little bit, but is a really shifty route runner can get open. You need a third receiver in today's NFL. Like I, I think it is laughable to be uh, of the mindset that you bring in two receivers and you're good to go. Like, you need three guys that can create, create separation and get open. Um, so to me, it's a logical move to go multi-receiver. Now, since you used one of your first-round picks in this, at 25, you st- stood pat and, and you got Jalen Rieger and you also got Michael Pittman Jr. at any point, because I was playing around with a new uh, simulator yesterday and playing around with some trades and, and all the options that were available, did you consider trading back from 25? Because Matthew and I have had this discussion before um, about potentially getting more bang for your buck at a second or a third round pick from that number 25 spot and being able to still get a very quality receiver maybe somewhere in that in that day two range that you could also couple with getting uh, at 58 as well. So you'd maybe have a receiver pick at 58 and then, then again in the third round. Was that Did that cross your mind at all to do that? You know, I thought it... I thought of two things. I thought of trading back, and I also did a couple where I traded up um, just to just to see. And what not, you know, it's suboptimal to, to trade up if you're not trading to get a quarterback, basically. Um, but the trade down is interesting because you know it requires someone on the other end wanting to trade up. And I mentioned the quarterback position. That's usually how you get you know assets in return because a team is saying, "Look, I want to take this quarterback." And because a quarterback has such a potentially high uh, return on investment, I'm going to maybe overpay a little bit, right? And that's how you can accumulate um, those extra picks. So if a guy like Jordan Love um, falls, you know, or Justin Herbert falls to 25, and there's a team that decides, you know what, we want this guy, that could open up a spot where you can trade back from 25. You, you know, we saw Michael Pittman here. I mentioned Tyler Johnson. There's so many good receivers that if you are waiting till the you know later end of the second round, third round, you're still going to get some good players. And what you really want to do is flip the coin as many times as you can, right? Accumulate more draft picks so that you have more chances to get players that are very good, right? Stephon Diggs is a fifth round pick. And, you know those things happen, but you have to be able to flip coins to find them. George, uh, in my mentions already, you're getting a little bit flamed for uh, not drafting an offensive lineman, which I think that you have, I to, knew it. you have to understand the PTSD for offensive line recently by the Vikings. You guys at PFF ranked them 27th, I think, last year in pass blocking and maybe 28th the year before. So even as much as criticism as we've given Kirk Cousins, and it's deserved, uh, he has not had good pass protection since he's been here. And some of it is his doing, but it hasn't been good. Uh, so... It, I mean, what do we know about offensive linemen in the draft? Like, is there something that you can give us some insight on in terms of a study that you guys have done or whatever? Because if I think that that is something that does have to be a consideration here. They've tried to go the route of, well, we'll fill it in free agency or we'll fill it with this fifth-round draft pick or this third-round draft pick. And then last year, they draft in the first round and still don't get a guy that could step right in and make an immediate impact. So what do we know that could help the Vikings in this draft to get a good offensive lineman that can make an impact. Yeah, no, here's what I keep talking about, which is what is your drop-off 
in terms of, say I take a guy in the first round or the second round versus then taking that same position in, say, the fourth through seventh. And um, uh, actually, the guy that did the bulk of the work on our mock draft sim, uh, Timo Riske at PFF underscore Moo, one of the better follows out there. <laughs> he is. Um, he wrote a fantastic article where he compared the drop-off between positions and, and, and facets, too. And guard is just a more easily replaceable position. So I'm not saying ignore it. In fact, if Michael Pittman Jr. hadn't been there, I might have thought about a guy like Natane Muti, who is probably the only guard that I would really think about, you know, taking somewhat early. Um, and, you know, there's some tackles that, that we really like who performed really well. Um, who you might be able to get for kind of a bargain because the run on tackles and the tackle class is so deep and that run happens earlier. Got like maybe an Ezra Cleveland if he slips a little bit. Um, so I don't think it's something that you ignore, but the, what we have learned is that you want to take shots earlier on the players and positions that have a bigger drop off. And that is just far larger for corners and receivers and quarterbacks than it is for guards and tackles and D-linemen and, uh, you know, linebackers. Well, that being said, they have two of those positions that are major needs for them that they've got to fill right away with cornerback and receiver. So if you think about the big picture here in the four positions total uh, that I would say are in your top tier of priorities, those two that I just mentioned, defensive end and offensive tackle, to think that they're going to get four of those players with all of their five picks that they have in the top 105 seems a little bit of a stretch because we know how things work out of those four which do you think that they miss out on if any man um well it's interesting i i have a feeling that the ones that i think they will miss out on will be you know the nfl will kind of do the opposite and so um you know i, I think that if i were drafting if I were drafting all of the picks, wide receiver would be the ones that would go off the board more quickly. Um, but I, I think the NFL is still in a place where they do prioritize, uh, you know, the positions closer to, uh, you know, the ball and the line of scrimmage a little more highly. Um, and so I think that those will actually, you know, start to come off the board earlier than I t- anticipate. Um, and depending on what the Vikings want to do, if they do decide to go wide receiver cornerback early, um, you know, they could find themselves missing out on the guy that they wanted um, at those other positions. But in my mind, that's a worthwhile gamble to take because um, you just can't find great wide receivers and great cornerbacks everywhere. You can fill in average positions, um, you know, on the offensive line and, and the defensive line at a much lower price through free agency and, um, you know, later in, in, in the draft. And so to me, that's the one you take the risk on missing out on. Talking with George Shahuri, the PFF forecast, one of my favorites while jogging, though I have been uh, splitting my time with the two-for-one PFF podcast to get more informed on the draft as well. Now, you guys, you and Eric Eager have done analytics mock drafts, and of course, when they get put out there, people are upset. Uh, And George, I want to know the biggest difference between uh, what you find in your analytics mock draft where you focus very heavily on positional value and what the numbers behind a player say about their problem probability of success versus what the traditional mocks and the scouting and the combine results and things like that, like what, what they say versus what you've done with your data to make those decisions. Yeah. Well, the biggest difference in, you know, just looking at our mock draft and the, and the responses we get is people not reading the introduction, which says, Hey, this is not a prediction. 
of what we think will happen. It's what we would do because people go, oh, there's no way that this team that I follow <laughs> dearly will ever take this player. It's like, yeah, I get it, bro. I understand. I'm trying to tell you what I think they should do. I'm trying to be forward thinking uh, instead of looking at the past. But um, he- here's, I think, the big uh, misnomer, which is that positional value really matters. And if you are going to draft for need, you are wasting a, a valuable currency. You can fill needs in other places through free agency, right? You can find guys that are that are you get a decent bargain on that can fill those needs. In the draft, it's your shot to get transcendent players at positions that matter. You don't find that in free agency because when teams find those players, they don't hit the market. So you have to take shots on players that can make a substantial difference, a quarterback, a wide receiver, a corner, and that's how you end up competing for a Super Bowl. You can't be taking defensive interior linemen early in the draft and hoping that you know that all of a sudden you're going to go to the Super Bowl. That Aaron Donald is the best interior defensive lineman we've maybe ever seen, and the Rams were utterly worthless until they got a passing game. So uh, to me, that's the biggest difference between where we're at projecting players forward and where the league is at. And honestly, it means that there's a lot of value to be had for some teams that are out there that will think a little bit more forward. So Matthew and I get a lot of draft sims, uh, and I'm sure people are going to start using the PFF So many, and we love you Um, all. And and we get them, people say, hey, can you grade this? And I'm actually looking over one of them right now uh, that has Jerry Judy at 22. And and some of these surprise me, just how the board falls. And I know that a lot of this is random. And, yes, we're talking about a computer simulation here. But if there was one move that you could maybe project out to next Thursday, something in the first round that really wouldn't surprise you if somebody that we're expecting is going top 10 a Jeff Akuda, a Makai Becton, that would possibly fall out into the 20s? Who might that be? Wow, that is a really good question. Um, well, I should say that one of the things that you can tune about our mock draft is how random it is. Um, you so can you even, yeah, you can say one very random. I did that yesterday, and yeah. I was all over the place. I mean, that's the cool thing. and it, it's, it feels wonky at first, but then you go look at some of the drafts in the past, and you go, oh, this, you know, this stuff kind of happens um to me the the position that i think could potentially fall is receiver and it's that you know that 10 11 12 13 range where teams should clearly take receivers but they might say to themselves you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna let them slide because it's so deep you know the class is so deep and i don't want to you know take a shot early and then all of a sudden one of those big three guys does fall now if they fall at 22 i would be a little surprised but Falling past 15, um, it, you know, I could see one of those top three receivers maybe squeaking out because the team is hesitant with such a deep draft class. And like I said before, they overdraft the position that's less valuable. Um, I think tackles will still get drafted pretty highly mm-hmm. um, just because of what we've seen in the past. That seems to kind of be what the NFL likes to do. Um, so if I'm betting on one, it'd be receiver. Maybe it'll be Jerry Judy. Who knows? Well, I felt the same way when there's so many receivers that there's likely to have one that people like more than the other guys that we expect to be drafted high. And by the time you get to 22, somebody, this is the the one positive for the Vikings, George, when you were talking about, hey, don't draft for need. Well, with the Vikings, they're all needs. 
So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's sort of like that gif with the guy pointing at his head like, ah, well, that's how you beat the system is you need every position. Um, I, I want to know what you think about Tua because – um, you know, there's some people who are higher on him than others, and let's just say really high in terms of uh, Trent Dilfer, who said that he has a better arm yeah. than Dan Marino today. That might be, a, yeah, that, that's definitely some kind of high. But um, what what do we think about a guy who plays for a really great program and puts up massive numbers? The injuries you can't know, I can't know how those are going to work out. Um, but is still not considered the number one guy because Burrow, who's sort of a one-year wonder, has an incredible one year on an amazing team with a great offense. Like, how do we deal with these outside factors with quarterbacks? Um, because I, I think that that's one of the reasons that we all get it wrong so often with that position. It's it's a very interesting question. One of the things that we do is when we project players forward, we take into account who they've played and who they've played with. Mm -hmm. And while those things matter, you know, Joe Burrow played as hard of a set of defenses as you can find. Um, And yes, that matters. But he was in an environment that allowed him to succeed. The same thing is true in the NFL. Like, how many quarterbacks do you feel confident if you put them in a crappy system are going to succeed? Maybe two? And still you're like, you know, like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, you throw them in a bad system and it's like, okay, you know, fight for yourself. Like, I'm sure they do okay, but it's probably not, you know, the type of seasons that we've seen from Mahomes and Andy Reid's system. So to a certain extent, all quarterbacks are, you know, a product of having a good scheme, and you want to see them succeed and make good throws in that scheme. Um, and so for Joe Burrow, you know, he was so fantastic, but he made accurate throws and they needed to be made. And you, you sign an offensive coordinator and a head coach to get – you know, to get those guys open, and then you expect them to deliver. And Tua can do the same thing. Um, and and the, the tough thing with Tua is that you have you have kind of these two seasons where, um, you know, he kind of faltered in places where you go, you know, I'd really like my number one pick to have been great in that game. And Joe mm-hmm. Burrow was great in all of those games. So to me, that's the difference. But I don't think it's it's that massive where people should be going, oh, you know, should Tua fall to you know to six? Should he be the third quarterback taken? Like, that's ridiculous to me. The idea <laughs> yeah. that you would take Justin Herbert over Tua Tagovailoa is, is like, I'm trying to think of an analogy where someone just overthinks something so massively. Like, you know, I, I, I can't, to be perfectly honest with you, because that to me would just be absolutely ridiculous. It, it'd be, it'd be um, similar to, like, you know, Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. Remember when we had that mm-hmm. conversation? Yeah. I was thinking Blake Bortles yeah. over, even though Teddy Bridgewater had the injury, but Bridgewater <laughs> had been, he had been for a long time projected as the top pick, and then somehow Blake Bortles takes it. And you're like, excuse yeah. me? I'm like, who yeah. is Blake Looks Bortles? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that would be a sort of a classic, well, Teddy didn't have a good pro day, and he didn't use his gloves. And you're like, does any of this matter? Um, so... Uh, yeah, for sure. Now, before we let you go, as we were introing you, Jonathan was talking about the series that another one of our writers has been doing about the top Vikings quarterbacks, five Vikings quarterbacks of all time. And they have quite the bizarre history of quarterback play, George. So give me your opinion on who would be number two all-time Viking quarterback. You do the PFF Forecast podcast with known Vikings fan Eric Eager. So yes. you've got you've to know this. Fran Tarkington is clearly number one. Who would you have at number yep. two? This is interesting. Um, now, I'm going to show my age a little bit here because, you know, I could see Eric pulling out the fact that he watched, like, every, you know, 80s and 90s <laughs> football game. Yeah. Um, 
But, and this is tough, because I think you could make a case for, uh, for Brett Favre. Just a little ironic kind of case, you know? Um, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go with actually Dante Culpepper. And uh, um, spoiler and, alert, that's that's who uh, Judd Zolgad went with, too, was Dante. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Dante Culpepper, you know, he had, obviously, as we just talked about, right, he had some super great weapons. But, man, like, that guy allowed those dudes to go make plays. And I'm not sure there was anything more fun than Culpepper to Moss. I mean, you're thinking of, like, you really enjoyed watching these two guys connect. I think they've got to be up there, maybe top five, top ten uh, in the NFL history. They were a lot of fun. The other point with Culpepper in terms of entertainment value was variance. Like you don't get much more yeah. high variance than when it comes to his career of MVP or goes like four and twelve and leads the league in picks. Like that's you know, so you never knew what you were going to get. Maybe maybe he had a little Jameis Winston in him, oh, and yeah, we just you, you know. That. Because I, I think Jameis has kind of gotten the short end of the stick. Like he's he's had a kind of suboptimal set of situations, and maybe if he stayed in Tampa one more year, we would have seen like the other side of that variance. Um, but I think that's a really good cop. Who did you have number two? Uh, I also had Dante number two, but I think that there's a good argument for Warren Moon because, you know, Moon was there for a couple years and was really damn good when he was there. Like, even his worst season is very good for the era of Warren Moon. And beyond that, you know, the underrated one in my mind was Brad Johnson. I think he goes like 28 and 18 as a starter. Did not put up amazing numbers, but, I mean, you know, the goal is to win football games, so he did that, and not too many other guys in Vikings history have consistently. Uh, the, The hard debate is the one year wonders like Cunningham's one year wonder year is even mm-hmm. better than Brett Favre statistically but Favre's is unbelievable and then you have your Case Keenum like wait if, if I'm including Favre True. do I have to include Case Keenum as well and uh, that's that's where it gets wonky so it's a fun debate you can use it for the PFF forecast uh, podcast in June when there's nothing to discuss <laughs> I, I might I, I just watched um Thanks to Eric Eager, who, by the way, right now is dealing with uh, like no power because of the windstorm in oh Ohio. And and from what when I last checked in on him, he was still alive, uh, squatting in a uh, in parking lots. <laughs> so we'll pray for him. But he he is a huge fan of watching old games, and he passed on um, uh, Vikings uh, Niners game where Jerry Rice obviously goes bananas. Um, and Warren oh, Moon yes. uh, is really fantastic in that game. Yes, and I, I've watched I that game. Watched yeah, it was a lot of fun to see uh, to see Warren Moon in a Vikings jersey. He played he played really well. It's an interesting debate. I wonder where Kirk Cousins ends up on it. Well, uh, I don't think that any of us had Cousins yet on the on the list in terms of a top five. So you know, I mean, I agree. When, when you come in and you're expected to take a team that was in the NFC Championship before farther, and you win one playoff game in two years and put up a lot of empty numbers. It's hard to say, yeah, you were better than what some of these other quarterbacks did who actually won. So, uh, well, this is fun, George. Make sure everybody check out the PFF Forecast podcast again, one of my favorites. And hopefully soon enough you guys are back at the Cincy Y and so forth. And, uh, you know, we can go forward with that. But the draft should be fun. Thanks for coming on, George. Yeah, anytime. Stay safe, guys. Appreciate it. Yep, for sure. George Shahuri, uh, un- uh, PFF underscore George. So you don't have to even attempt to spell his last name. Um, what's your list, Courtney? Of quarterbacks? Vikings all-time quarterbacks. How do you deal with that? I mean, I think that I have to account for the history that I wasn't alive to witness. Like, So the Fran Tarkington has to be number one, right? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, I mean, that that to no, me is no like, not whatsoever. up for debate. Yep, he's number one. I mean, a lot of it, I think, over the years is stuff that I've, you know, either asked people about, like, you know, all time, you know, trying to get trying to get as much institutional knowledge as I can about it, just trying to make sure that I have the right list. I mean, when he talks about Kirk, I don't think you can put that in the conversation as far as it's like where it's at like now, but from a historical perspective, where does he fit? Like I, I would probably, I don't know. Can you put Dante Culpepper above Favre? I think so. Like, would you go, here's, if I, let's just give, give me five. I'd go Fran Tarkington, Dante Culpepper, Brett Favre, Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon. And, yeah, where, and didn't yeah. Judd have Tommy Kramer as number five or yes, something like that? Yes, which I think that? you could make a good debate for Tommy Kramer to be on the list. I mean, he was part of a lot of good teams and put up a lot of numbers, played a lot. I mean, my thing on Tommy Kramer was just that he was injured and benched so often and ends up with a losing record that it makes it a little harder. But he also did have one really, truly great season mixed in there. So, yeah, I, the people who watch Tommy Kramer seem to really love Tommy Kramer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do acquiesce in some ways to that. So it's a fun debate. Read what Judd wrote about it at scorenorth.com. And Courtney will be together again next Tuesday. And Kirk Cousins is going to talk next Tuesday. So looking forward to that. That should be interesting. All right. Well, you take care of yourself there. You're still in Chicago. Um, So do your best. And same to everybody else. We'll be back for a fun Friday show tomorrow on Purple Daily. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.